0: favorite theorem coming at you from the double hurricane part of 2020 today <laughs> uh, um, I mean I'm, I'm not near the Gulf Coast so it's it's not quite as relevant for my life um, but that is the portion of the year we are in right now I am one of your hosts Evelyn lamb I'm a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City Utah and here's your other host
1: hi I'm Kevin Knutson professor of mathematics at the University of Florida it's just hot here but you know there have been like fire tornadoes right in in california this is all very on brand for 2020 this 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 year can't end soon enough
0: yeah we say that i feel like i've said that at the end of many previous years and then it's not great
1: as a science fiction
2: writer i have to say never assume it's the worst that it can get it can always get worse (laughs) yeah right yes right 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 Right.
0: Yes, and that is our guest, Yoon ha Lee. Um, so yeah, would you like to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, maybe talk about your writing a little bit, how you got to writing from the um, the degrees that you have in math?
2: So my name is Yoon ha Lee. I'm from Houston, and I'm a science fiction and fantasy writer. I actually went to Cornell to get a degree in history, and then I realized that history majors starve on the street, so I switched to math <laughs> so that I could have an income and ended up not becoming a mathematician. Uh, my best-known books are probably The Machineries of Empire Trilogy, which is Nine Fox Gambit, Raven Stratagem, and Revenant Gun. It's Space opera, lots of ships blowing up everywhere, and then a kid's book, uh, Dragon Pearl, uh, which is out from Disney Hyperion in the Rick Riordan Presents series, and that one is also a space opera, because ships blowing up is just fun.
0: Yeah, well, and that's funny. I think I just put together, I had seen Rick Riordan, like, publishing imprint before, and I just started reading Percy Jackson the other day. and so it's like, oh, that's who that guy is. Um <laughs> right. so yeah.
1: And 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 I think I might be the only one among us who is old enough to have seen the biggest space opera, Star Wars, in the theater in its first release.
2: <laughs> yeah, my parents let me see it on the television when I was 6 years old and mm-hmm. I was terrified at the point where Luke gets his hand gets his hand cut off. Oh, that's Empire. I think yeah, right, the, right, the right, second, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I forget which movie it was, but he gets his hand cut off, and I had yeah. nightmares for weeks, and I'm like, Mom and Dad, why? Why? Why did you <laughs> think this was an appropriate movie for a six-year-old? And yeah. then I got all the storybooks, and I wanted a lightsaber and everything, so I of guess course. it worked out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, my, my movie story, we're getting off track, but it's, it's a good movie story. <laughs> so uh, when I was six years old in 1975, my parents thought it would be a good idea to take me to the drive-in to see Jaws. <laughs> and uh uh i had nightmares for months that there was a shark living under my bed a huge shark (laughs) that was just going to get me so uh
0: my husband was born i think right around the time one of them was released i don't remember which one now but we were talking with one of his colleagues one time and figured out that on the day he was born that colleague was going to see um that movie like the day it came out i'm gonna so, guess
1: like, it was i'm gonna guess it was jedi i don't know exactly how old you guys are but that, that's that's my that rough guess
0: sounds guessed. right yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, i'm not a big star wars person um yeah. but yeah i i guess i've always not been sure it, i feel like space opera the term is something that i feel like i know it when i see it but i don't really know like how to describe it May, is it just do you feel like a a categorization of space opera is like ships blowing up
2: ships blowing up uh generally bigger larger than life characters larger than life stakes uh big galactic civilization types of things it's basically the star wars genre
0: yeah. It works. Um, yeah, and the machinery of empires. I the reason that I invited you on here is because I just read Nine Fox Gambit a few weeks ago, and just thought, you know, this person. I, I was looking up more because I was thinking this person sure uses a lot of math terms uh, for a novel. <laughs> so um, mathematicians might be especially interested in reading this one. It has um, shenanigans with calendar systems that are based on math and arithmetic and stuff, so
1: yeah, that's fun.
0: So you, in addition to getting a bachelor's degree in math, you um, got a master's in math education,
2: right? Yes, at Stanford. And um, I ended up not using it for very long. I was a teacher for like half a year before I uh, left the profession, but...
0: Okay. And was it just that your writing was taking off and you wanted to do that more or were there other reasons?
2: uh kid came along that was the big reason oh. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah that definitely uh can take a lot of time uh, yeah, just a little
2: bit.
0: Um, yeah yeah all right well that's great so what is your favorite theorem
2: my favorite theorem is uh Cantor's diagonalization proof mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i discovered it actually in high school, as a footnote in Roger Penrose's The Emperor's New Mind. It was sort of a, it was really just sort of a sidelight to the extremely complicated and hard to follow argument that he was making in that book on the nature of consciousness and quantum physics, which as a high schooler, you know, it, it basically went over my head. But he was, I was sitting there staring at this footnote and going, I don't understand this at all. He he said that the foot, uh, in the footnote that Cantor had proven that the real numbers, uh, the set of real numbers has a cardinality greater than the set of natural numbers. And of course, I was a high schooler. I hadn't had a lot of math background. So my understanding of these concepts was very, very shaky. But he said, if you make a list of, you know, pretend that you have a list of all the real numbers and you put them, you know, one, two, three, four, you put them in correspondence with the natural numbers, and then you go down diagonally, first uh, digits of the first number, second digit of the second number, third digit of the third number, and so on, and then you shift it by one. So if the number is if the numeral in that place is two, it becomes three. If it's nine, it becomes zero and so on. So you can construct a number that is not on the list, even though your premise is that you have everything on the list. And I think this was the first time that I really understood what a proof by contradiction was.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
2: they had my math teachers had attempted very hard to get this concept into my head and it just it just did not go through until i read that proof and meditated upon it mm-hmm. and it's funny because i i spent most of my life th- uh, as a, a kid thinking that i hated math and yet there i was in the library reading books about math so i guess i didn't hate it as much as i thought i did <laughs>
0: yeah i was thinking at a high or reading a, a penrose that penrose book is definitely um yeah you had some natural curiosity about math. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, I'm sort, yeah. Of, I'm sort of surprised that they were even that your high school teachers are trying to teach you proofs by contradiction. That's kind of interesting. I I don't remember seeing any of that until I got to university.
2: Uh, I don't know that they got into depth about it, but mm-hmm. it was uh, this was at Seoul Foreign School, which was a private. Mm-hmm international school in south korea Hmm. and they tried to make the curriculum more advanced with mixed results
0: Mm -hmm.
1: sure that's worth a shot
0: yeah and this this is really one of those greatest hits like if if you're putting together the like record that uh you're gonna send out or something like mass greatest hits would include this diagonalization argument it's so appealing and um we we've had another guest uh select that too Mm -hmm. adriana salerno Mm -hmm. um a few months ago and yeah just people i i think a lot of people who eventually do become mathematicians just kind of this is one of those first moments where they they feel like they really understand some some pretty like i guess high high concept math kind of stuff um so so did you uh like did then did you see this this proof later in school?
2: No, I, ironically, most of what I was interested in doing when I did my undergraduate degree was abstract algebra, so I didn't even take a set theory course at all. Mm. But I knew it was sort of out there in the water. And I don't know, one of the things I loved about math and that led me to switch my major to math was the idea that there were these beautiful ideas and these beautiful arguments and just sort of the elegance of it, which um, was very different from history where I love history and I love all the battles and things like the defenestration of Prague and. All the exciting things happening but you can't really prove things in history like you can't go back and run the siege of stalingrad again and see what happens differently so
1: oh maybe we could though right we have the computing power now maybe we could maybe we could do that this sounds like your next novel right a a simulation of of, of stalingrad and this time the 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 nazis win or something i don't know oh
2: no i mean science fiction writers totally do that there's this whole strand of alternate Alternate mm-hmm. history, science fiction, or fantasy. Mm-hmm. Harry Turtledove is one author who he likes to have the story where aliens invade during World War II, and then like the Nazis and the Allies have to have to team up against the aliens. Kind of mm. stories. There, there is a set. There is a readership for these things. Sure. Mm-hmm.
0: So you use a lot of math concepts in um, in your writing, your like you know fiction writing. So have you ever tried to work in uh diagonalization or this kind of idea into any of your stories
2: this one no i mean occasionally i i remember writing a story in college actually called counting the shapes and it was just everything in the kitchen sink because i was taking point set topology Mm. and so i used it as a metaphor for a kind of magic that worked that way and other ideas like I don't know, I had recently read James Gleick's Chaos, so I was Mm -hmm. really interested in chaos theory and fractals, and I don't know that I was super systematic about it, and I sort of suspect that a real mathematician would look at it and poke holes at, you know, I'm using this as a magic system, not as rigorous math, more more as a metaphor, I guess, or, or flavor.
1: Oh, but I mean, mm-hmm. I mean l- writers do that all the time, right? So I, yeah. I, I, I taught a math and lit class with a friend of mine in, uh, in, in languages a few years ago, and uh, you know, Borges, for example, mm-hmm. you know, like, it, this sort of stuff is all over his work. Uh, the, these ideas of infinity, and, and, mm-hmm. and it's even embedded in Kafka and, and all the stuff. And um, it can be a wonderful way to, to get your readers to, to think about something uh, you know, from a point of view they might not have thought of before.
2: Well, the interesting thing about Nine Fox Gambit and the math uh, terminology that I used for flavor is that 20 publishers turned the book down because they said it had too much math. Mm. <laughs> and I my joke about this is that they saw the word diagonalization in the linear algebra matrix context, and they didn't know what that meant, and they ran away from it. Which was extremely <laughs> discouraging when my agent my agent at the time, Jennifer Jackson, and I were going out on submission with this book, and it's like it's basically a space opera adventure where people blow each other up. You don't have to worry about the occasional math term, it's just there as flavor for the magic system. System, but a lot of people, I'm sure you have encountered the fact that a lot of people in the US have math phobia, and this just a little this oh. really does affect the readership as well. Really? Yeah, yeah.
0: that that's funny because in some way, I mean, I like you definitely use the the math language to give a certain flavor to the, the system that the, this universe is in, but you could sub it out for like any Star Trek terms exactly. or something. It's just like, Oh yeah, you could put tricorders and dilithium crystals or, you know, anything in to serve that. Cause it's, You know, it's not a math textbook. No one's learning linear algebra from (laughs) reading (laughs) Nine Fox Gambit. No,
2: exactly. Um, I actually, when I was originally writing the book, like the rough draft, I had my abstract algebra textbooks out and ready to go. And I was going to construct sort of a game engine, a combat engine of how these battles were going to work in an abstract algebra sense. And my husband, who, um, he's not afraid of math. He's actually a gravitational astrophysicist, and he's Mm. arguably better at math than I am. But he (laughs) sat me down and said, Yunha, you can't do this. You're not going to have any readers, because science fiction readers who want to read about big spaceships blowing each other up, do not want to have to wade through a math textbook to get to the action. <laughs> and I mean, it turned out that he was absolutely correct. So I ended up not doing that and just using it as, you know, the force, except with math flavor.
1: Linear algebra oh, is the force, all right.
0: <laughs> that's so interesting. I noticed on your website that you have a section for games. So do you also like to design
2: games? I do design games, and by design games, I mean tiny little um, interactive interactive fiction text adventures or Mm. um, really small tabletop RPGs, like in the indie sense, like, you know, three-page games for five people, no GM, that kind of thing. So I do enjoy doing that, and it is related to math, I think, but... It's certainly not something that we learn to do in any of our math classes.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I—I I mean, personally, uh, I think it would be very cool. It, have you have you written up this the like potential game, like abstract algebra game thing, into an actual game, or or did, was that kind of abandoned on the? editing floor while you were putting the book together it
2: got abandoned on the editing floor also because it would have been a tremendous time suck and you know it, it would have been a fun idea but if I wasn't going to use it in a book and it cert- certainly wasn't going to be used in like a computer game or some something like that there just didn't seem to be enough incentive to go ahead and do it
0: yeah probably the the market of um math mathematicians who read sci-fi is you know not a tiny market but maybe not quite the <laughs> demographic you're you're looking for but i i'm just imagining like hauling out the the silo theorems to like explode someone's <laughs> battle cruiser or something <laughs> um,
2: oh, that's just funny.
0: just saying that you know if you were if you were bored sometime and Yep. Wanted, to, <laughs> wanted to sink a bunch of time into that. Right, if right.
2: somebody else wrote it, I would definitely buy it and read it, I have to say.
1: All right. The, cha- yeah. the challenge is out there, everybody. Make, you know, everybody should get on this. Yep.
2: Yeah, very cool. Yeah.
1: So another thing we do on this podcast is we ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. So what pairs well with Cantor's diagonalization argument? Waffles. Waffles. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> Because, okay. you,
2: because sort of that grid shape, I know That's this right. is super visual, but the waffles <laughs> I'm thinking of, um, my husband did his postdoc at Caltech, so we lived in Pasadena, and mm-hmm. when we were there, there was this delightful Colombian hot dog place, and they mm-hmm. also made the best waffles with berries and fruit and syrup mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. whipped cream, and those are the waffles I think of when I think of the diagonal slash proof. Right, and so
1: so the grid is actually fairly small, is it one of those waffle makers? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I have a Belgian waffle maker, and it's fine. It makes four at a time, but but th- those mm-hmm. holes are pretty big, right? I'm thinking of, like, the small, like, like Eggo style, right, where you yeah. put, a, put a lot of digits. Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. You could also, like, I guess maybe a maybe a berry is too big to fit in them, but I'm just saying you can mm-hmm. put different things in all the, make sure no two waffles have the same arrangement of syrup and berries and cream. And,
1: yeah. <laughs> this is a good pairing, um, actually. I, I'm, I'm into this one a lot. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm I hungry like now. Yeah, that, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I just had lunch, so for once, I don't leave this ravenous. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, so, would you like to uh, let people know where they can find you online?
2: Online, I'm at yoonhalee.com. Y-o-o-n-h-a-l-e-e.com. I'm also on Twitter as Deuce of Gears D E U C E O F G E A R S and um, also on Instagram as Deuce of Gears.
1: Deuce of Gears. Is there a story there?
2: Uh it's the it's the symbol of the crazy general in Nine Fox Gambit. Okay. And also because I'm Korean, like there are 5 zillion other Yoon Ha Lees, so by the time I joined Twitter, all the obvious permutations of Yoon Ha Lee had already been taken, so I had to pick a different name.
1: Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and if I'm remembering correctly, there are sometimes cat pictures on your Twitter feed, is that right? Yes,
2: so the thing that I post periodically to Twitter is that um, my Twitter feed is 90% cat pics by volume. (laughs) There are people who, you know, they tweet about serious things or politics or so on, and these are very important, but I personally get stressed out really easily, so I figure people could use an oasis of cheerful cat pictures.
0: Yes, I think I think that I just wanted to make sure our listeners have this vital information that <laughs> if they are running low on cat pictures, this is a place <laughs> they can go. Um, it's definitely been uh, an important part of my mental health to make sure to look at plenty of cat pictures during this these stressful times, as they say. yeah
1: Um, yeah. i follow on on instagram i follow a lot of bird watching accounts so i just Mm. get i just i just get a feed of birds all day it it it, yeah it's it's better for my mental health so
0: well maybe maybe Yoon's cat would like that
1: i i suspect (laughs) yes that's right that's right yep
0: yeah we were talking to a friend who said that um they have some bird feeders outside they just have indoor cats Mm -hmm. um and the cats will meow to get them to open the windows in the morning so they can watch the birds outside. You know? <laughs> it's like, mom, turn on the TV.
2: I tried putting on a YouTube video of uh, birds, and my cat was just completely indifferent to the visuals, but she kept looking at the speaker where the bird's sounds were coming from. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Mm. I guess maybe hearing is like more of a dominant uh, sense or something i I guess have pretty good vision though i would think
2: yeah i think she's just internalized that nothing interesting comes out of the moving pictures
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) well thanks for joining us i really enjoyed talking with you yeah
1: this has been great
2: thank you thanks it's been an honor
1: thanks for listening to my favorite theorem hosted by kevin knutson the music you're hearing is a piece called fractalia percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem@gmail.com, at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNasdunk. That's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards. And Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.